Hello, Secret Squad. Welcome back for another episode of I've Got a Secret. I'm Robin McGraw, and you are going to absolutely love today's episode. I'm dialed in with a real-life hero, Evie Pomporis. Evie, I want to say hello and welcome you now before I go on to read your accomplishments because it's going to take a while. All right, Secret Squad, Evie was a United States Secret Service agent for 12 years. In this time, she was in the Presidential Protection Division, protecting three presidents. She was a criminal investigator, worked undercover, and was an interrogator for the Secret Service's elite polygraph unit. If that's not enough for you, Evie's work as a first responder during the 9-11 attacks earned her the United States Secret Service Valor Award. In her new book, Becoming Bulletproof, she uses her experience in the Secret Service to teach readers how to protect themselves, strengthen their mental armor, gain confidence, and manage fear. This is The Secret to Mental Resilience. I'm so excited. Let's get started at the beginning, Abby. How did you get started in this field? Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I, I stumbled upon it, honestly, Robin. I know some folks, like, they, they, they grow up and they're like, when I grow up, I dream of becoming this. And I, I didn't really have that roadmap or blueprint. And I think sometimes life leads us down the path we, we didn't really know to go. But truly, fundamentally, like, I, we grew up, my parents were immigrants that came to the United States, to New York City from Greece. We grew up in a low-income government subsidized housing, a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, a lot of violence. And so growing up, we were very susceptible. And I think, you know, as I grew up, I you get tired of living in fear. Mm-hmm. We had been victims of crime and, and, and different things. And I think you naturally, at least for me, rather than, be, than becoming more afraid as I got older, I actually got more resentful of it or more defiant of it. Mm-hmm. And then you also, you know, I'd see people around me being victimized or my family victimized. And I think eventually you kind of think like, I want to have some kind of power mm. over my outcome. And sometimes law enforcement or police or other people can't do that for you. And I think intuitively, without really knowing it, I stumbled into a career in your secret service and, and in truth i had no idea what the secret service was growing up it's not nobody in my family was in law enforcement and, uh, and so i didn't grow up with this image or, or thought process that that would be me someday wow and so i i happily stumbled into it i want to say oh wow and when you say stumbled into it it, it was just Were you in the right place at the right time? You were introduced to it and it really intrigued you because... Oh, no, yeah. They don't come looking for you, just so you know. (laughs) So many people ask me, they're like, do they come find you? It's like they get thousands, tens of thousands of applications a year. They don't need to come look for anybody. It's a job that you need to go out and get. I had worked, growing up, I had worked for a congresswoman. I interned for her, Robin, for two years and... That was my exposure to to public service. Mm -hmm. And as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career, one of the things they mentioned, they said, look into government and to international affairs. And I had just applied to different government agencies. I I, I remember getting this book on careers, and I was like, I'm going to send a resume to everybody in this book. Somebody's going to give me a job. 
And the U.S. Secret Service, just because they had so many international offices, happened to be in that book. But simultaneously, without you know realizing I was going to go into this path of law enforcement, I had also applied into the NYPD. And oh. that was also something I, I stumbled upon on my own. I finished college and, you know, like a lot of people, I, I, I was kind of like, what am I doing? I had gotten this job working in accounting underwriting. I knew nothing about numbers, Robin. Oh. Oh. I just like, like any other young person who gets out of college, you're just happy to have a job. I remember being on the subway in New York City, going all the way downtown back then to the World Trade Center where the offices were and thinking, this can't be it. And I remember the subway doors open. And I see this police officer there, this NYPD officer, and this was back in the day. So he's hanging out, he's got his arm back, he's got his beer belly sticking out, and I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> and I went home and I called 212 Recruit, and I was like, you guys hiring? Because I, I intuitively always wanted to be active. I always wanted to my life to have some type of significance. And I know some people are driven by financial gain or different things, and I was always driven about helping. Uh -huh. helping and being of service. I don't know why it's just something intuitively that came to me. And I initially started my career in the police department, honestly, and then went into the U.S. Secret Service. Wow. Well, to the listeners, I want to tell you right now, Evie is petite, blonde. Do you get a lot of people saying to you, wow, you do not look like you could be part of the Secret Service, someone who has been put in the position of protecting our president and first lady. Do you get that a lot? You know, I have and I did and I do. Sometimes it's good not to see yourself the way other people see you. Uh -huh. And I think that that's what helped me. I, I I, didn't think I couldn't do it or that because you look a certain way, you right. should be something. And I, 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 I also loved it because I was like, when people say you don't look like a, a typical you know, special agent, my response is, thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love that you said that. I oh, love I hearing that. You got the stern cut, the buzz, the buzz, you know, the, the stern look, the buzz cut, the typical look. But for me, it also helped me, Robin. I could do things on the job that my colleagues couldn't do. Yes. I did quite a bit of undercover work compared to what my colleagues did because I, I didn't look like anything. Oh, I love I could that. do what we would call counter surveillance. So I could follow people and nobody would know I was following them. Oh. And so we we don't realize the the value of what being different can bring. Oh I nobody would peg me to be what I was. And even when I became a polygraph examiner interrogator, I was very unassuming to people. Yes. Uh, and so people would come in with a more relaxed demeanor, their guard down, being underestimated and Rather than seeing that as a negative, I took that and flipped that and made that a positive. Oh, that yes. was my superpower. Oh, yes. So I, you know, we can either let something like that diminish us or we can embrace like what makes us different and say, I'm going to use that to to differentiate myself and perform differently than everybody else and do the things that other people could not do. Even when we did undercover work, you know, I was never afraid to do it because I knew nobody thought of me as being someone in this type of position. Oh. And so I had that comfort. And yeah. so I could go in and I could be like, yeah, I'll meet with whoever. I'll talk to this, you know, violent criminal. I'm, I'm good simply because I felt comfortable and safe. Ah. 
Embrace your superpowers always. We all have them. We should all embrace them. I love that. About what percentage of Secret Service agents are women? I will tell you at the time, I believe, I would say, I would say it was definitely about 2%. Oh, really? When I went in. And then when I went into the president's detail, and I, even though I started under the Clinton administration and you protect all the presidents, because people, we protect, they protect former presidents. Mm -hmm. So you protect those in office and you still pr protect those who left office. Right. But I was on the presidential detail, which meant uh, I was full time with President Barack Obama. Uh -huh. And at that point in my career, it's like you live, eat, breathe, just protecting him and the first lady. And so even there was a lot less, maybe 20 women out of a couple of hundred, maybe three, 400 agents. So it was not a large number. I think, I think it's two things, Robin. I think one is that we self-select, meaning a lot of women think I shouldn't apply or that I can't do this. And I think sometimes we ourselves don't put in for it because I wouldn't see a lot of female applicants put in. And then two, I also think that there's this factor of the physical part of it. Can you physically do the job? Because there is, I, I think more so than the other law enforcement branches, there's more of a physical element here. You have to be tactically sound you're also protecting people. You have to be able to maneuver people, lift people, carry people. You have to be able to do certain things. And I think that those two things together, unfortunately, made it less inviting for women to put in. But mm -hmm. I, I do believe that their numbers are changing. And I do believe more and more women are thinking, you know what? Yeah. Why not? Uh, That's always been my kind of mentality. Why not? I Let somebody believe, else tell me now. I believe after today, because of you, there will be a lot more women convinced that they can do it and will do it because of you. What do you think was more difficult, the mental training or the physical training? That's a, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. That is a great question. I think both. Mm. Look, the physical was hard because no matter how fit you are going in, you're training in a physical level that's very different than what you've done. So you could be at the gym 24 hours a day working out, but the level of physical training that they put you through is not having a toned body. I would see guys who were big and shredded just completely, you know, tap out, you know, vomiting during runs. Yeah. It really was about endurance and stamina. And it wasn't about size. It was just your ability to perform. But a lot of it is up here. And I remember sometimes we'd run and we'd go in these long runs in the middle of the Georgia heat, which was the first training center in the uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in G Georgia, Glencoe, Georgia. And you're running and you're thinking, I how much more of this? Because they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't tell you how long the run was, which was worse. Because at, you, at least if you know, you know when it's ending. But when uh -huh. you're running and you're just like, I don't know when this is going to end. And I think that was the biggest mind game that they would uh -huh. play with you. And you just put one foot in front of the other. But I would talk to myself. I really would do this. I talk to myself. It's just like, just hang in one more minute, one more minute. And then one more minute would turn into five. And then five would turn into 10. But then when it was done, you're like, man, I just did that. Oh. I want to, you know, and you would feel that exhilaration after it was done. But during the performance, you just want to. I'm married to a man and raised two young men. So I don't want to offend them. But I really have always believed that women are stronger than men. <laughs> Mentally, I really do believe that because I, I have always told myself there isn't anything I can't do. 
if I have to, and especially when it comes to protecting my loved ones, my family, there isn't anything I can't do. And I believe that. I think it's a mental thing though. Robin. I do. It's like you, you, you say you believe that. I do believe that. Yes. I think you you're right. It is that. mental. You believe it. Some people, sometimes we can say things and not believe it. And I believed it too. Mm -hmm. I'd never run before I went in there and I was just like, you want me to run? I, I never had to run before. And <laughs> But like, well, I better, I better start running. But I believed in it. I was like, no, I, I, I can do this. Why? And it was always like, why can't I? Yes. Says who? Says who? It's not going to come from me. But I think that that's the biggest thing. I think we self-defeat. Oh, you're so right. But we defeat ourselves before anybody's had a chance to defeat us. Wow. Were there any areas that you felt you had to work a little harder in than others? The physical stuff for sure. Uh -huh. So for example, Robin, if you just take pull-ups, pull-ups, you know, men, and this is just biology. I'm not offending any, this is just facts. Biologically, men's upper bodies are built differently uh -huh. and they have more muscle. They have more power to do a pull-up. It just is. Mm. So for me to do a pull-up, I needed to train harder. So I would have to put in a lot more effort to do the same amount of pull-ups as a man would. Mm -hmm. But I was okay with that. I was like, all right, I, I understood it. I was like, we're biologically different. So here, he, this person or these guys have a have leverage over me. Mm -hmm. They have an advantage over me. But so I have to work a bit harder. But then once I did one, I did two. Once I did two, I did 10, then 11, then 20. Then again, it's just like, it's, it's just doing it. Once you do it, you're thinking, oh, that's not so hard. And a lot of it is mental. It's getting over that mental mm -hmm. hurdle then also not settling for like, well, I'm a woman, I shouldn't have to do that. Because even in it, since we're talking pull-ups, I remember they, they had like, a, they had the, um, the, the qualification. So a man to, they had excellent, I remember. And for a man to get excellent was different from what a woman had to have for excellent. Mm -hmm. A woman technically to get excellent, she, she could do less. Mm -hmm. They had changed those numbers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think they did it so that women could qualify for the job. But I remember going in because it was very male dominant and I don't want anyone to say anything to me. I was like, I don't want to hear nothing from anybody. And so I was like, I'm going to train at the male standard, but I, I did it. I could do it. And it, it, at the end, it was all up here, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. all up here. but I had to work harder in that aspect. Mm -hmm. and don't you agree? You can't hold a resentment or get upset because a man is stronger physically. It's not his fault and it's not your fault. So it's like, you can't go in with that attitude. You have to only think about you and what you are qualified to do to accomplish the goal, correct? You know, I don't blame other people for what's happening. If I went in with that, that resentment, I would take the energy that I needed to put towards training and put it elsewhere. And we only have a finite amount of energy and cognitive energy, you know, cognitive ability too. And so my mindset was like, I have no time. I'm here. I earned it. I have my place. Now, now what do I do with that? I'm a hundred percent with you on this, Robin. I have no time to blame other people because it is a distraction. It takes me off my path. It makes me bitter. It makes me resentful and I don't perform. And now I voluntarily make myself a victim of my circumstances. And when I do that, 
I have no power. That's right. Oh, I have I, no that's power. right. I was just gonna say you give you give part you you give your power away. You give a small, medium, large percentage of your power away when you do that. You can't afford to do that. No, you can't. I mean, because because then it, you're saying everything else around me has to change in order for me to succeed. But when I take ownership of it, it's like, all right, I have to perform in this physical level. Mm-hmm. I am somewhat at a disadvantage in certain areas. How do I change that? I change that by working out during the day and then working out at night. Yes. That's what I do. I'm not going to be bitter. Oh, why do they have to only work out once a day? It's like, how bad do I want it? I want it this bad. Right. I will overcompensate here. That's right. Did you ever really feel like giving up? My first week when I went to the NYPD Academy, actually, uh-huh. I did. Oh, really? That first week was a horrible week. I didn't. I had never been exposed to this type of training. It's called paramilitary, mm. and they, they mimic it after the military. Everybody's yelling at you. They're screaming at you. You're a piece of garbage. Nobody wants you there. They want you to quit. They're messing with your head. I didn't understand that, and I took it a little bit too hard, and I'm thinking, why is everyone yelling at me? I, I want to help. <laughs> I'm here because I want to serve. And it just took me some time to understand that part of it was putting stress on people. Part of it was weeding up the weak. They want people who really want to be there. They also want to be able to make sure that you can endure stressful situations, uh-huh. conflict, and, and keep yourself composed. It's such an important thing that, you know, they really try to, a lot of these agencies are very thoughtful. They try to limit those people who have bad tempers, those people who can't handle stress well those people who are not in in discipline of themselves because it's you're given a lot of power and authority uh, over other people and you have to maintain some some type of higher standard when it comes to emotional intelligence how did you become aware of that that week and not give up i wanted it badly good i did i understood the opportunity i was given and i remember thinking i'm not going to lose this wow i i i was like i'm not losing this and I was like, I guess I was thinking, I was like, I won't lose this because of me. Wow. It's not going to be because I didn't do anything. I didn't do enough. Wow. It was very important to me. I never would have thought ever that I'd have an opportunity to work in the White House, to be in the Secret Service. And I just wanted to make sure that if it didn't work out for whatever reason, it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I didn't put everything into it, because I didn't try, because we all have those moments where we miss something and we look back, we're like, man, if I would have just done that differently. And I just was like, I knew it was important. I was like, I can't mess this up because then it's on me. It's not on anyone else. Somebody opened the door crack. I got my, my, my toes through the door. Well, now it's on me to get the rest in. Wow. I love that. That's, that's so true. How can someone follow in your footsteps and overcome a statistic that really isn't in their favor? Don't think about the statistic. Mm. I didn't care that I was a woman. It meant nothing to me. I love being a woman. I embrace it. I'm like, I'm, I'm a woman. And so what? Yes, I love that. That's too. what I would tell you. Forget your t- statistic. That, those are somebody else's numbers. They're not your numbers. I love that. So it's, it's almost uh, positive if you're underestimated. It's a, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's positive. Take it and embrace it. Crush it. I think when we allow somebody else to diminish us, when we allow somebody else to tell us, okay, you can try to do this, but you know, you are a woman, you are a minority, you are this, you are whatever that, that, that is. If I start to believe that, 
then I start to think that what makes me special or amazing puts me at a disadvantage. I love that. In your book, you cover so much. It's such a educational book for everyone. But let's talk more about mental resilience, because I think you cover that so beautifully in the book. And it's, it, like I said, it's such an important aspect of life for, for everyone. Can you give us a general definition of what that is? Mental resilience is your ability to buffer yourself from the outside world. It's your filter. You have control over what you allow in and what you keep out. So what I'm saying is the daggers, the shots, the, the, the difficulties in life, they're going to come at you. I can't stop those. Nobody can stop those. We can try to minimize them a little bit through our behaviors and who we keep around us and being thoughtful about who we choose in our environment. But to some degree, that stuff is going to happen. It is ine inevitable, but it is your, you have the power to decide what you let in and what you keep out. You have the power to decide what impacts you and how you deal with them. And so a lot of it is like, it's like, think about it. I think of it as bubble wrap around you. You've got bubble wrap. And if you're wrapped really well, people can hit and hit and hit all they want. It's not gonna, it's not gonna crack you. Once in a while, people may strike you and you may get a crack in your armor, a crack in that shield. But then again, you have the choice of how you respond to them. Or sometimes maybe there is nothing to respond to. So mental resilience is your power, your, your ability to filter out what you keep in and what you keep out. That's so true. You know, it just took me back to when Philip and I were just first married. I'd been visiting his sister and she said something to me and it was just really rude and mean. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I went home and I walked into the house and he was sitting there at the table studying. And I went, oh my gosh, your sister just said something so mean to me. And she just had no right to say that to me. And he just looked up and I thought he'd just go, oh, come here, you know, hug me and whatever. And he goes, well, actually, yes, she did. She had every right to say that to you. And I went, oh, who is this man? Who is this man I've just married? He's turned into just this stranger. And, and I'm like, what? But I got so upset and I got even more hurt. And I stormed out of the room and I go into our bedroom. And I'm like, I can't. I slammed the door. Couldn't believe he said it to me. So, okay, I'm all upset. I'm mad at him. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to follow me in here and he's going to tell me, you know, I'm sorry. I upset you. I, you're right. You're right. But he never did. And hours went by. And so finally, I went into the kitchen to get something to eat. I wasn't going to speak to him. I'm like really bad. He comes in there and he's just standing there. And I turn around and he goes, are you ready for me to finish what I was going to say? And I said, only if it's an apology. And he goes, no. And I'm still just dumbfounded. But he finally says to me, he goes, I was going to say she had every right to say that to you, but you also had every right not to react. You had every right to say, I'm not going to give you my power by getting upset and believing that you're right, because I know you're wrong. I'm just going to choose to leave the house and go home and live my life with my new husband and not be upset by what you say. And I went, oh. <laughs> so it's really 
the same. It's like we all have a choice. Someone can do and say anything they want to us, and we have the choice not to react. I'm so with you on this, Robin. It's, I have this, this saying, just because somebody throws the ball doesn't mean you have to catch it. That's right. That's right. It's, just, it's a choice we all have. We have, have the power. Choice. We have the power and we have the right not to allow someone else to take it from us. People can do things to us, but whether we allow those things to be done to us is up to us. That's right. You know, I do something in my podcast every time. It's a drink of the day, and I'm going to skip that today because I feel like you have so much valuable information. So I just want our listeners to know that that we're not going to have a drink of the day. Uh, I I may put it on the uh, website, uh, I've got a secret with robinmcgraw.com, but I'm not going to waste our time discussing that. So I just want to put that out there. In your brand new book, Becoming Bulletproof, you talk a lot about managing fear and using it to fuel you. Is fear good? Yes. Yes, it is. And it's interesting because many people wanted me to call the book Fearless. <gasps> really? And I, I, I fought back on that. I was like, I can't call it something that's that's not true. And, and, you, and you you see that term used a lot, thrown out a lot. There's other books that have that, that word in there. Um, and I was like, there, because there's no such thing. There is no such thing as being fearless. And I didn't want to create something for people that is unattainable. It's a myth. I would be selling you a lie mm. if I said I'm fearless because it is not true. Mm. And I worked alongside some very courageous people, very brave people. None of them were void of fear. Anytime we had to go do an arrest or anytime we put on our bulletproof vests uh, to go stand in front of the president in, a, in an arena with 70,000 people, there's this level of fear that you understand today somebody could take a shot and kill me. Or I would, the shot would come and I would jump in and I would give my life to save the life of another human being. Mm. Of course you're afraid, but it's about being able to push forward while being afraid. And there's, I talk about healthy fears, which are appropriate, which keep us safe and alive. Something as simple as crossing the street. Why do you look both ways before you cross the street? You're afraid of getting hit by a car. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with that. Healthy fear. Unhealthy fear is being afraid to fit in for a job, to live a bad relationship, to not fly because you're terrified of flying and it keeps you from, you know, achieving or putting in other goals in your life or putting in for a specific job that requires you to travel. And so I talk about the two, differentiating the two and then embracing your fear, harnessing your fear. Part of the reason I was able to, to to successfully finish my training is because, Robin, I became afraid of failure. Mm. I was afraid of failing, of losing that opportunity. So I took my fear of failing to propel me, to harness me. You can use it as your drive. Mm. And so I want to take away that stigma that fear is bad and turn it on its head and say, no, fear is good. When you feel that stuff happening, even when you feel the sweating and the panic, the panicky feeling, that's not panic. That's your body saying, I'm here. I'm arming you. I'm giving you your adrenaline. I'm trying to help you. So when we understand ourselves and what our bodies are doing and that it's there to help us, when we understand it, we fear what we don't understand. That was a really big drive with writing Becoming Bulletproof. I want you to understand yourself. Ancient Greek saying, know thyself. Because when you know thyself, you understand it and you are less afraid of the things you don't know. 
and then you feel so powerful. You agree? Yes. It's all in the mind. Yes. It's all a choice. It's all a choice. Mm -hmm. to, to keep your power and use it for, the, for yourself and for the good. How can someone control their emotions and think logically when stressed out or fearful? So that's something I had to work on. Full disclosure, Robin, I always had a hot temper. I grew up very reactive. I had poor emotional intelligence growing up. I mean, maybe most teenagers do, but I, I really you know, self-assess and look back, and I still do to this day, um, to my reactions. And we've all had those moments where we look back and we're like, ooh, I was less than stellar in my <laughs> response to that person, or maybe I should not have spoken that way. And so incrementally over time, I would look back at things I would do and I would think to myself, what, if I'm not happy with what I did here, how can I change it for the next time? And again, it was really about focusing inward. What we do, and I did this too, is I would justify my bad reaction, my bad responses, my emotional reactions on somebody else and saying, I'm justified to behave this way because this person did that to me. Mm. And so again, now I have no control over my faculties. I'm putting the onus on somebody else. Mm. But when we take ownership of ourselves and say, I have a choice in how I present myself to the world. And what do I want that to be? How do I want that to look? Now I, I choose. I'm not simply a reactive person. Mm. So it really is trial and error. And I think what we do is every time you do something, stop. And, and the moment you say to yourself, I'm blaming somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. The moment you find yourself in that cycle of this person, this, this person, that, catch it and say, okay, look what I'm doing. I'm giving my power away. I'm making it about that person. I'm justifying my horrible demeanor and my reaction. And I'm going to self-assess now. What can I do differently? And also when you go through obstacles and stress, what I write about in the book is to not see that as a negative thing, but to see it as, as a positive thing. Stress is good. A certain amount of stress and certain obstacles in life are good because they make you a more resilient human being. When you deal with a problem, you learn to adjust, you cope. Then the next problem comes, you adjust, you cope. And then the next problem, what happens is you create not just a resilient mindset, that mental resilience that we spoke of, but you also learn coping skills. Mm -hmm. And so when the bigger problems come, you're not completely like, oh my God, you're floored, I can't do this, my life is over. You're thinking, no, I, I have great coping skills. I've been through difficult situations. And look at them as challenges. Here's a challenge. How do I maneuver and overcome this? I love that, especially you're talking about your self-assessment. I think that is so important. What are some of the ways uh, to perform self-assessment in your, in your opinion? For, for example, is journaling or therapy a method that you think is great for self-assessment? What, what would you suggest? First, I, th I suggest honesty. Mm. That's the biggest thing. If you 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 are that person that blames other people for the things that go wrong, if you see that there's a pattern there, it's you. You're the issue. Recognize that in that moment. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I always ask myself, what could I have done better today? I don't look at what other people do to me. Yes, people wrong us and they betray us. No, nobody's immune to it. Neither am I. Mm -hmm. But I always look at what could I have done differently? Did Is there something I could have done differently to not invite this in? Did I expose myself to this? You know, I also, 
am I, am I allowing myself to be a victim of something? Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't like playing the role of the victim, then stop auditioning for it. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Do do you, uh, do you do this every night? Do you do it once a week? Every night. Every night. I have something. So I do a couple of things every night. One thing I do every night is I have a big nighttime routine. It really helps me. I know some people have morning routines. I do a workout every night, whether it's a run or it's whether it's my jujitsu class. I do something that embraces my body because it allows me to work out, not just to stay healthy, but the mental Mm -hmm. stuff that goes on that chatter. It helps my body. And I really believe that the mind and the body are in harmony Uh when we do that. So I work out the stresses through my day and I release them through my working out. I, I also at night, which, which calms me, Mm -hmm. which calms me, kind of releases that angst that we we hold into our, in our bodies and our minds all day. And then at night, I have something, it's actually called a five-minute journal. I'm not a person who has time to really journal, but it just asks you, you know, at the end of the day to list the things that you're grateful for. And I always list three things because we forget that we should be, that there's things in our lives that we should be grateful for. But I also put down, what could I have done better? And then I reflect on the day tomorrow and I'll say, okay, today I could have done this better. Tomorrow I'm going to do this differently. And also having someone whom you can talk to. Now, we, we don't all have that. If you have a spouse or a partner or someone that can give you an honest assessment without you getting your fragile ego hurt, mm-hmm. right? Because we all have fragile egos. We don't like people telling us, you know, giving us critiques. Oh, but, yeah. but if you can look at that as a learning lesson and say, this is helping me be a better person, because you can't be better if you also don't allow other people to talk to you so that you can listen. And it's just figuring out the opinions that matter in life the ones that you should listen to, and then the opinions that, do, that don't, the ones that are noise and chatter. But really, self-reflection is key. If you find yourself, for example, Robin, fighting with everybody at work, mm-hmm. fighting with everybody at home, having bad relationships with everyone, then there's one common denominator in all that, which is you. That's so true. You know, I've actually said to Philip before, like, constructive criticism to me is not actually possible. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a misnomer. Like constructive criticism doesn't really go together. And I've actually even said to him, like, don't doctor fill me unless I ask for it. <laughs> so that that there is a delicate fine line there when you have your partner tell you what's wrong with you. Don't you agree? <laughs> it is. You know, it's funny you say that. Don't doctor fill me. My husband has a a similar background as I did. He's a polygraph examiner. I'm like, don't polygraph me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't. <laughs> don't don't give me that. That I'm a polygrapher too. I taught you everything you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've used but that on him. Listen, <laughs> I've taught you everything you know. Admit it. <laughs> or I know everything you know. So, all right. Sometimes I'll look at Philip and be like, don't look at me that way. I know that look. <laughs> So, I think, but if you truly want to be better, and I love what you said that you don't want to live with regret, and you want to be the best version of you. Yes, you have to get better. So, like, if in training, if we go back to my Secret Service training, if I wasn't performing, if I wasn't doing what needed to be done, I can't get mad at anybody. Mm-hmm. I can't get mad at the guys and be like, "Oh, you're doing this because I'm a woman." I had to be honest with myself and say, "Did I perform today? Did I do what needed to be done?" And on those days I didn't, because there were days that I couldn't meet the standards, because it was it was hard. Wow. I wasn't the only one. There was every day you were going to fail out of something. Every day somebody struggled. Wow. But you had to be honest with yourself and not be like take it personal. If I 
let my fragile ego sabotage me, I'd never get better. I'd never be able to look at it and be like, I didn't perform today, wow. but I'm going to perform tomorrow. Wow. That's an honest assessment. That's the only way you're going to get better. If you just want to be told how fabulous you are, <laughs> no one's going to, you're never going to get better. And then you're only going to have people, they're going to have, you're going to have people avoid you and just, yes, you, yes, you, yes, you. And we all know those people that we, we know you can't say anything to this person. Oh, and you just kind of avoid them. That's right. And think about those people that you know that are like that. Do you want to be that person? Yeah, that's such a shallow way to live. Who wants that life? There are people that live that kind of life, and really, it's it's sad. It's sad. Now, I think we don't know, though. I think they don't know. I think you're right. I think you're we right. Don't deep know down, deep down, if they do know, they wish that it wasn't like that. They really want those around them to not be that way. If somebody's giving you a thoughtful assessment about something you could do better and differently, and if you can really just step back and say, is there any truth to what they're saying? Mm -hmm. Even if you don't like the delivery, if you can see that, then you can take that and use that to make and help yourself, make yourself better, make your relationships better, make mm -hmm. your world better. Yes. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. Okay, so there's another thing we always do on my podcast, and that's play a game. But I have one question. It's just like a nosy question on my part. Because you right. have actually protected our presidents and first ladies, can you just tell us one thing that maybe happened while protecting the most important man and woman in the world? One thing that happened that just really scared the bejeebers out of you? So, yeah, I have one. I remember when uh, First Lady Obama was on her detail and she was doing the Let's Move campaign uh -huh. and where she was trying to help uh, fight childhood obesity. And they brought 500 kids. I think it was about 500 kids to the White House South Browns. Uh -huh. And they were all going to do jumping jacks together. And Mrs. Obama was going to be right smack in the middle. But nobody told me this. So I show up for work. They're like, oh, she's just going to do some jumping jacks with some kids, her staff tells me. And I'm thinking, okay, I can handle. <laughs> and I look out and I see 500 kids. And I'm like, wait, what? And <laughs> they're like, she's going to go in the middle. And look, 
this sounds terrible, but this was my job. I was very cynical. I was always looking for the threat. I was like, I don't know these kids. I don't know who their parents are. I'm like, what if they swarm her? I'm going to be peeling children off of her. I was legitimately like concerned. I was like, I can't keep her safe. Like, what if these kids swarm her? And I'm, you know, I, what if within these children, there's, you know, a parent who has bad intention. Yeah. You know, it's not child that I was ever worried about it, but it's like, you don't know the parents, you don't know how people feel about yes. um, the protectees. And so, yeah, I was pretty stressed out, which is pretty comical now, but I remember it was myself and another agent and he was looking at me, I was looking at him and the staff thought we were bonkers. So like, they're just kids. I'm like, well, they're technically kind of tweens. They're a little older than kids. Wow. And I remember we were in the South Grounds and I was like, I hope they don't swarm her. And I remember they just started closing in on her after they were done with the jumping jacks. I went straight in. I'm like, all right, we got to go. Oh, I, you know what? I don't blame you. 500, though. That's... 500 kids. 500 gave me a mini heart attack. You know, it just, you just don't want to put people in vulnerable situations. And what staff would do, and it's understandable, like you're a president, you're first lady. Their job is to connect with people, with the public. I... And our, when you're trying to keep them alive... That's like the worst part of it. So I remember that moment. I don't know why that jumped in and it's kind of comical because they're they're children. But yeah, I was just kind of like, this is not, how about 10 kids? You didn't tell me 500. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've raised two, like I said, two boys. They're now men, young men, 33 and 40. But I can remember when they had friends over, it certainly didn't have 500. And I probably, I would have panicked as well. <laughs> Because I was surrounded maybe, let's say, with 10 boys at one time having fun at the house. And, yeah, they could have taken me down in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was because there's also cameras there. They're children. You can't really put hands on kids. That's right. You, know, an adult, you can grab them and be like, all right, ma'am, sir, move. So, you know, I remember it was kind of like, ah, this yeah. is a little tricky. Well, thank you for sharing that story because I totally understand it. And that was that's so interesting. Okay, so I'm going to describe our game, and it's called Under Pressure, because, Evie, you are going to uh, be the perfect one to play this, because you are the perfect example of someone who's lived under pressure. So, you are going to name an example of a top. Okay, so first let me explain. I have a bowl on the desk here, and it's got some topics in it. Now, I don't know these topics. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know these topics. One of my staff members put these in the bowl. And you're going to name an example of the topic that begins with each letter of under pressure. And if you can't think of something right away, you'll have to pass and go to the next one because we're going to be timing this, okay? First topic is you're going to an undisclosed location for five days. What do you bring? Okay, so I'm going to give you the letter under pressure, and you're going to tell me, and you have to do it really quickly because we on, you only have 20 seconds, okay? Okay. Okay. You. Umbrella. In. Night goggles. Good one. <laughs> Good one. D. Deodorant. Oh, E. Oh, time's up. 
That's hard to do, isn't it? Okay, so now I'm going to do it because, like I said, I didn't know ahead of time what the topic was, even though I have no a few seconds. Okay, so the timer is starting right now. You, uh, and I'm not, I can't use your words. Okay, you, um, <laughs> pass <laughs> in. Um, a, a Nerf football. Oh my gosh. D. Uh, ding dong cook uh, cupcakes. <laughs> I didn't even get through the word under. Can't believe it. Okay, so one more topic. You want to play one more time? All right, let's go. I sucked on the first round. Let's see if I can make up for it. Okay, we're going to get 30 seconds on this one. Okay. Okay. Reasons to smile. Go. You. Uplifting. In. Pass. D. Pass. E. Uh, uh, e. <laughs> Embracing. Yes, R. Romance. Yes, P. Passion. R. R. Uh. Oh, time's up. Gosh. <laughs> I can hear. Gosh. Okay. My turn. Okay. And I have to admit, I thought of some, but I've already forgotten them. Okay. So I'm about to start. Okay. You. Um, uh, uh, I can't think of anything. I'm passing in. Um, uh, good night. Uh, nurses. Nurses. D. Dear, dear ones. Um, e. Every family member, R, roses, P, Pop, Philip. <laughs> oh my gosh, I ran out of time. Gosh, that was, that was a hard game. I love that, Philip. That was so good. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad I did say P, Philip for P because I would have felt bad later. I would have <laughs> regretted that. <laughs> okay, so you want to play again? That was, kind sure. of, that was kind of hard. We, okay, I, this is a hard game. Okay, so we're going to get 30 seconds, and here okay. goes. Foods. Let's just do foods. I, it has foods for a resilient body, but my gosh. Let's just say food. Okay. Okay, go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You get 30 seconds. Okay, you. Pass. In. Pass. D. Donuts. Oh, right, good. E. Pass. R. Radishes. Pass. <laughs> P. Potatoes. Yes, R. Radishes. Good. E. e. This is a tough one. Okay, I'm going to go with, I'm going to start now. U. Pass. In, um, surely there's some kind of food that starts with in. Uh, okay, pass. D would be donuts. Oh, I copied. E is uh, in dot. Is that it? R would be uh, rum cake. P would be uh, Popeye's chicken. <laughs> R would be. 
gosh, I lost it. You won. We are not good at playing games. <laughs> no, I think, I think. <laughs> oh, you know what's funny? Your listeners are listening to this and they probably got all the answers. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so we're through with our game playing. And you know what? That brings us to the end of our episode. Oh, I could go on all day. I could just do this all day with you. I've had Maybe so Maybe we much. get to do it in person one day when all this passes. Yes. You know what? I would love it if we could do this again in person, just as you said, when all of this quarantining and this whole sad pandemic is over, I would love to sit together. We will certainly have our drink of the day. It could be non-alcoholic, and we could just talk some more about your amazing life, period. Thank you, Robin. I'm humbled. It's so wonderful to talk with someone and laugh too and and share kind of just my experiences, but also like in this beautiful, like lighthearted way as well. I love it. Thank you. You're very, very inspiring. And uh, I'm so proud that we did have this time together. Could you quickly tell everyone how they could find you on social media and also tell them the name of your book? Sure. So my book is Becoming Bulletproof. Protect yourself, read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. Yeah, <laughs> Not fearless, it. fearlessly. And you can find me at Evie Pompers, E-V-Y, Evie, and then Pompers. I'm sorry, I'm Greek. It's a long one. P-O-U-M-P-O-U-R-A-S. Awesome. Well, Evie, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And please come back anytime. And I love that you have given everyone your information. Can you tell them where they can go to buy your book? You can buy my book on Amazon. You can download it on audio and listen to it. Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere you can find a book, you will find Becoming Book. Oh, I love it. So let me just tell you, Secret Squad, this is a must read. Do yourself a huge favor and pick up a copy and visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more information on this episode, as well as blogs, videos, and drink recipes. Stay strong and mentally resilient. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>